You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Lord, thank you for your word. And as we turn our attention to it, Lord, we want to do so in just a sense of surrender, a sense of worship, Lord, asking that by your spirit you would work in our lives and that you would transform us. So, Lord, help us that we would receive your words and be responsive to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I have a bad habit I wanted to tell you about. It's a habit I picked up from my dad, and it really is a bad habit. When I was a kid, sometimes... My family, we would get in the car to go somewhere, to drive somewhere. My dad would get in, and he would start driving. The only problem was sometimes he didn't know where we were supposed to be going, but he would just drive anyway. This is something he did. Well, I kind of picked this habit up as well. See, my dad, I played baseball a lot when I was a kid, kind of competitively. So for several months out of the year, uh, every weekend, you know, around the whole state of Colorado, playing in tournaments, um, traveling all over the place for these tournaments. So every weekend, right, it'd be this mad rush to get out the door and get all the stuff packed in the car. And then we get in the car and then my dad would just start driving. And then after a, a while, my mom would be like, well, you know where we're going, right? And he'd be like, no, I, I don't know where I'm going. I'm just driving. And, you know, that wasn't usually a problem until we got out of the neighborhood, right? Because you don't necessarily need to know where you're going just to drive out of the neighborhood. But once you reach an intersection or a crossroads where you have to choose a direction and commit, right, then it, then it can be pretty precarious. It can really lead you in the wrong way because maybe you need to go south, but you turn west and it can lead you way off course. So that had happened sometimes. You know what else would happen? Sometimes he would get lucky though, right? He would be like, turn left and drive for several miles in that direction. And it turned out that was the direction we needed to go in, even though he didn't know that. He just picked one and it happened to be right. But most of the time, this habit of going without knowing the destination, where we were trying to get to, it just resulted in a lot of frustration, a lot of wasted time, and a lot of wasted up gas. And it drove my mom crazy, and now I do it, and it drives my wife crazy. Well, listen, there are a lot of people who approach life in the same way, aren't there? Don't you think? They're just going, right? They just get in the car of life, so to say, and they just start going, but they don't know where they're going. They don't know how to get there. They're just going, right? And I, I think that describes our times that we live in, and, and even some of us sometimes, if we look at our lives, we're going 100 miles an hour, like as fast as we can, doing all this stuff. But we have no idea where we're trying to get to, where we're going. There's no destination in mind. And what's the result? The result is a lot of wasted time, a lot of wasted energy. And in many cases, you end up finding yourself in places where you never wanted to be. So what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is to start with your destination in mind, to start with your destination in mind, to begin by knowing where you want to end up, where you want this, this journey to end. You know, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at two people and their lives are very much intertwined. One is King Ahab and the other one is the prophet Elijah. Now, in our study today, we're going to see the end of both of their lives, the end of both their lives. And we're going to see the legacies that they both left behind. And as we do that, we want to consider our own lives. So that rather than just going 
and doing things, we know, first of all, what's the destination? Where are we trying to get to? And start with that destination in mind so that our destination can determine the way that we live today. Okay, the title of today's message is The Legacy of Your Life. The Legacy of Your Life. And what we're going to see in this message is this. The end of your life is inevitable, but the decisions you make today can have an impact for eternity. Every week I've been giving you a sentence, and then that sentence functions as our outline for studying the passage. But I'd love it if you'd write that sentence down, memorize it, take a photo of it, whatever you got to do. There's some note cards in the pockets in front of you. Feel free to take notes with those, some pens there. And why I like this is because, you know, how many times does someone ask you after church, what do you guys talk about at church? And you're like, I don't know, probably the Bible or something, right? And even me, right? I'm like, I'm the pastor. I was the one doing the talking. It helps us to have this sentence so that later on today, when somebody asks you, what do you guys talk about at church today? You're going to tell them, 2 Kings 1 and 2. And here's what we talked about. The end of your life is inevitable, but the decisions you make today can have an impact for eternity. So let's take that sentence. Let's break it down. Let's study this passage. 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 1 says... After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. King Ahab, we've been looking at his life for the past several weeks at the end of 1 Kings. He ruled over Israel for 22 years. And as we've seen, he was a truly wicked person. He introduced a form of idolatry into Israel that included the shedding of human blood. It included making human sacrifices, even human baby sacrifices, sacrificing children. He was a wicked person, and he even persecuted and killed the prophets of God. But in due time, as always is the case, Ahab died. His life came to an end. And Ahab's son, Ahaziah, took over for him, succeeded him as the king of Israel. We're told in 1 Kings, so the previous chapter, last chapter of 1 Kings, we're given a summary of Ahaziah's life. Here's what it says. Ahaziah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshiped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. So here we see the legacy of King Ahab's life, the legacy of King Ahab's life. His life was lived in idolatry, in rebellion against God, and that continued as a legacy through his son, and it affected many people for multiple generations there in Israel. Just as we see the end of King Ahab's life here in chapter 1 of 2 Kings, we're also going to see in chapter 2 today the end of the life of the prophet Elijah. So these two men's lives, they kind of parallel each other, and they're intertwined. And here in these two chapters, we see the end of both their lives. But you know what else we see? We also see the legacy of both of their lives as well. And what this forces us to think about, what it confronts us with is this fact. The end of your life is inevitable. The day is coming when your life will end. Guys, I don't know if you've seen the statistics on death. They're not very encouraging. 10 out of 10, somewhere around 100%. I'm not good at math. Maybe you are, but I think that's what it adds up to. Listen, I, I've talked to people and they've said, oh, Nick, you know, 
don't bum me out with this death stuff. You know, Sunday morning, tell me something happy. I came here to be encouraged. Don't tell me, don't remind me that I'm going to die one day. Well, I, w- I want you to know this. You know, people say, oh, I just want to live my life. I don't want to think about the fact that I'm going to die. I want to tell you this. Facing the reality of, of the limitations of your life, the fact that you are mortal, that you will die, that is one of the best things you can possibly do. And here's why. Because it changes the way you live here and now. It changes the way you approach life. It changes what you value, how you spend your time, the kind of things you care about and get stressed out about or don't get stressed out about. Well, listen, after King Ahab died, Moab rebelled. That's what we read. The region of Moab is in modern-day Jordan, and Israel had actually controlled Moab. The, the land of Moab was part of the ruling area of the king of Israel ever since the time of King David. But in the time of Ahaziah, Moab rebelled against Israel, and they lost control of Moab. Now, the reason this is significant is because this is a sign of the fact that Israel is declining as a nation in influence, in power, etc. During the time of David and the time of King Solomon, Israel was on the up and up. They were becoming more and more powerful, influential, wealthy. But ever since Solomon turned away from the Lord and embraced idolatry and led the nation into idolatry, we've seen this steady decline. And this is another sign of the decline. They lose control over the region of Moab. Well, listen, not only was the nation of Israel falling apart during this time. But the king of Israel was kind of falling apart at this time as well. Look at verse 2. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria, and he lay sick. So here's, here's Ahaziah walking around his, you know, kingly palace. And somehow, we're not sure how, maybe it was a weakness in the construction. Some translations suggest that he fell out of a window. We're not sure how, but somehow he fell from the second story and landed on the ground, and he suffered injuries as a result. Now check out how Ahaziah responded during this time of trouble and injury. Verse 2, the second half. So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from the sickness. Beelzebub was a form, a local manifestation, a local styling of the pagan god Baal, who we've been talking about over the past several weeks. And actually the name Beelzebub, it means the Lord of the Flies. The Lord of the Flies. Why? Because when sacrifices were made, remember they're making sacrifices with human blood, with with human bodies. And as these sacrifices, the remains of these sacrifices would stay on the altar, it would create this horrible stench and it would attract flies. And so when all these flies showed up on these, on these disgusting altars, they said, oh, look, there's Beelzebub showing up in the flies. All the flies worship him. He's the Lord of the flies. Now, by the time of Jesus, this name Beelzebub, it came to be synonymous with Satan because the Jewish people looked at this and they looked back in this and they said that was pure evil, satanically inspired evil. And so they started using the name Beelzebub as a synonym for Satan. Well, in Ahaziah's trouble, understand, rather than turning to the Lord, he turns to Beelzebub. 
Verse 3, But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. Okay, so God tells Elijah, Go and intercept the messengers of Ahaziah, they're going to consult with a pagan priest to ask if Ahaziah is going to recover from these injuries he sustained during this fall. So God says, I want you to go and intercept them, and instead, you give them this message. You go and you tell them, the Lord, the God of Israel, the true and living God, he'll give you an answer to your question. Do you want to know the answer? Are you going to survive? The answer is no, Ahaziah, you are not going to survive. Your condition is fatal. You're going to die. And so I want you to understand this before we go on. This message to King Ahaziah, this was truly uh, the mercy of God to King Ahaziah to tell him this. And here's why. Something we see throughout the Bible is that false prophets at this time in the ancient world, false prophets had this tendency to tell people a positive message. Rather than, in some cases, it wasn't always true, right? We see this over and over in the Bible, the false prophet gives a false message, and oftentimes that false message is a message of false hope. So what would have happened is Ahaziah's messengers go to the prophets of Beelzebub, and they say, hey, is Ahaziah going to recover from this fall? And they would have said, oh yeah, you betcha. He's going to be great. He's going to make a great recovery and have a happy life. And they would have all said, oh, that makes us feel good to know that. It would have gone back, hey, all good news. And then Ahaziah would have died. So here's what happens. In his mercy, God says, no, no, no. Before that happens, before he goes and gets the happy message, which isn't true, I want you to intercept them and make sure that they understand the truth. He is going to die. This is true. He is not going to recover. Understand, this message is a gift to King Ahaziah because he gets to know something that very few people get to know in their lifetime. And that is, he gets to know the time of his death. He gets to know how much time he has before his life is over. He gets to know that this is his deathbed. That's, that's a gift. I'll tell you why. Because Ahaziah has lived an ungodly life. And now here he is on his deathbed, and he has an opportunity right now, an opportunity to repent and ask forgiveness. God will show him mercy if he does. It's as if God is stretching out his hand one last time to Ahaziah and saying, Ahaziah, take my hand, receive my mercy, repent, and I will show you mercy and grace and forgive you. But Ahaziah, well, let's see how he responds. In verses 5 through 9, I'll kind of summarize it for you. The messengers come back and they say, well, we didn't get to the prophets of Beelzebub because this guy met us on the way and he told us that Yahweh said you're going to die. And he's like, uh, Ahaziah's like, well, who was this guy? And they said, I don't know. He was, he was wearing like fur and he was wearing a leather belt. It was quite the fashion statement. And Ahaziah's like, I know a guy who dresses like that. That's Elijah the Tishbite. And he's like, I hate that guy. He always tells me what I don't want to hear. So look at what happens in verse 9. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50. And he went up to Elijah who was sitting on top of a hill and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. So Ahaziah sends 50 soldiers to go arrest and execute Elijah. Now think about how ridiculous this is. Here's Ahaziah. He's on his deathbed. He's dying. And he spends his dying days, his dying moments, 
Rather than getting right with God and, and settling his business with God, instead, he used his final days to, to try and kill someone who, again, it's like shooting the messenger. Elijah was just passing on the message of God, and, and Ahaziah is taking aim at him. Verse 10, But Elijah answered the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and the 50. So it's like, boom! Lightning comes down, just wipes all these people out. They all die. Well, surely Ahaziah is going to see this sign. He's going to understand. God's telling him, Ahaziah, stop resisting me. Ahaziah, I'm calling you. I'm offering you grace. Surely Ahaziah is going to get the, the message, right? He's going to take the opportunity to get right with God before he dies. Verse 11. Well, no, that's not what he does. Again, the king sent him another captain of 50 with his 50. He's like, lightning never strikes in the same place twice, so I should be fine. So these 50 show up. They tell him the same thing. Hey, get down here. The king says you have to come with him. And Elijah's like, all right. Boom, another lightning strike kills these same, uh, in the same place, kills these next 50 guys. Now, of course, at this point, surely Ahaziah, he's going to stop resisting the Lord. He's going to humble himself before God because God is offering him, after all, mercy and grace. So what do you think Ahaziah did? Well, look at it in verse 13. Again, the king sent a captain of a third captain with 50 and his 50 men. But listen, this captain is smarter. He's actually learned something from the other two guys who died. And look what happens at the end of verse 13. The third captain of 50 went up, came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him. O man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. So the third captain humbles himself before Elijah and asks for mercy, and he receives it. Now, this is exactly what Ahaziah needs to do when it comes to God. If Ahaziah would humble himself before God, he would receive mercy in the same way. This is a principle that's repeated throughout the Bible, that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Well, verse 15, look at what happens. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down, do not be afraid of him, go down with him. So he rose and went down with him to the king. So now in verse 16, Elijah meets King Ahaziah and talks to him face to face and speaks with him. And then Ahaziah dies. So listen, we don't know. Did Ahaziah have like a deathbed conversion? It seems to be implied that he did not. And what this brings us to is the second part of our sentence for this week, which is this. The end of your life is inevitable, but the decisions you make today can have an impact for eternity. Ahaziah died. His life here on earth ended. But listen, the end of Ahaziah's life here on earth, that's, that was not the end of Ahaziah. Throughout the Bible, we see God wants us to understand this fact. The end of your life here on earth is not the end of you. At one point, your life here on earth will end, but you, your soul, who you are at your core, in your essence, will go on living. You know, this tent of your body, one day it will be wrapped up, it will be folded, it will be put away, it will cease to exist, but your soul will continue on living. Every one of us is going to spend eternity somewhere. The question is, where? God was so persistent with Ahaziah. Why? Because God cared about his soul. 
And Ahaziah's decision to ignore God's warnings, to reject God's offer, his invitation of mercy for his soul, these decisions, they impacted Ahaziah's destiny for all of eternity. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this, Now when the Lord was about to take up Elijah to heaven. Well, let's just stop a minute and let's talk about that. Let's talk about heaven. Throughout the Bible, we're told that heaven and hell are real and not everyone goes to heaven. Heaven and hell are real and not everyone goes to heaven. In contrast to Ahab and Ahaziah, in chapter 2, we're now turning our attention to Elijah and the end of Elijah's life and Elijah's legacy that he leaves behind. God had told Elijah back in chapter 19 when he was in the desert that a man named Elisha would be his successor and carry on his ministry. Now we're, we're going to see that that day has come when Elijah is going to step aside and Elisha is going to succeed him in his ministry as prophet. It's a bit unfortunate that their names are so similar. So just stick with me, okay? Elijah with a J, he's the older prophet who's going away. Elisha, he's the younger prophet who's going to stay and take over. In verses 2 through 8, I'll summarize what happens for you. It's an interesting thing that happens. Elijah and Elisha are walking. Now, Elisha knows this is the day when Elijah is going to be caught up to heaven and he's going to take over for him. But Elijah does this weird thing with Elisha where he says, hey, let's go to Gilgal. So they go and then they get to Gilgal. And then Elijah says to him, all right, so you stay here in Gilgal and I'm going to go to Jericho. And Elisha's like, no, you're not. I'm coming with you. So he, he follows him to Jericho. Okay, then they get to Jericho, and he's like, Elijah, the older prophet, he's like, okay, now you stay here, and I'm going to go to the River Jordan. And you, you just hang out here. You don't have to come with me. And Elisha's like, no, I'm coming with you. What's going on here? It seems like he's trying to, like, shake him off or trying to lose him or something, right? What's he doing? Well, what Elijah, the older prophet, is doing is he's testing Elisha's commitment. You see, being a prophet was not a walk in the park. It was a hard life. It involved poverty, people wanting to kill you all the time. It was not an easy life to live. And Elisha needed to be truly committed, truly believed that this is what God called him to do and be in all in 100% if he was going to take this role. And so what Elijah's doing is he's giving Elisha a couple opportunities to get off the hook, right? To just exit and, and quit now before he gets into this if he's not really uh, committed to doing this. Well, Elisha shows he is committed and he goes with uh, Elijah all the way down to the Jordan River where this is going to take place. Now, in verse 7, it tells us that from Jericho there, which, by the way, is very close to the Jordan River, all these prophets, these other prophets, 50 other prophets, they walk out to the Jordan River just to watch from a distance what's going to happen. And in verse 8, it says, Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up, and he struck the water. And the water was parted on one side and to the other, so the two of them could cross over on dry ground. Verse 9, when they crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you, because I am before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. 
Listen, Elisha not only was committed to taking over Elijah's ministry, but he desired that God would do even greater things through him than God had done through Elijah. That's a noble thing, guys. It's a noble thing to want God to work through your life. And here's what's really interesting. He says, give me a double portion. Over the next several chapters here in 2 Kings, you know, that's exactly what we're going to see. Elisha ends up doing exactly two times, twice the number of miracles that Elijah did during his life. Now in verse 11, it says that we read how chariots of fire came and they separated Elijah and Elisha down by the river. And Elijah was caught up to heaven in a whirlwind. He's one of only a handful of people in the Bible who never tasted death, but was taken straight up into heaven. And tells us in verses 12 and verse 13 that after Elijah was taken up, his cloak, also called his mantle that he wore, it remained there. It, it fell on the ground. And so Elisha, the younger prophet, he rips up his own clothes and he puts on the cloak or the mantle of Elijah. And that mantle, what it represents, it represents his authority and his anointing from God. And so Elisha officially succeeds Elijah as this key prophet. Okay, so that's the story. I want you now to just think with me for a few minutes. Contrast. Think about this contrast between Ahab and Elijah. Ahab and Elijah, here as we see the end of their lives. They, their lives both ended, but Elijah goes to heaven. Their lives both end. They both leave a legacy, but Ahab's legacy is one of idolatry and rebellion against God, which leads to destruction for himself and for other people. Elijah, on the other hand, his legacy is one of serving God, speaking up against evil, of inviting people back into relationship with God and offering mercy and grace through, through this relationship with God. And I just want to encourage you as we think about the, the end of their lives and the legacies they left behind, I want you to ask yourself this question. Maybe write it down. Think about it throughout this week. What will be the legacy of your life? What will be the legacy of your life? When you're gone, what is going to live on past your life as a result of the ways that you've lived and the things that you've done? Maybe some of you, you look at Ahaziah, this man who had this opportunity to have this deathbed conversion, and you look at that and you say, yeah, that's not a bad idea. That's exactly what I'm going to do, right? You're like, so he lived like a total heathen, but then when he was almost dead, he repented. Sounds like a great plan. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to live like a total heathen, like no breaks, right? Just doing it all. I'm going to do all the stuff now while I'm young. And then when I get old, I probably won't want to have fun anyway. I mean, what do old people like to do? So I'll just repent and, uh, and ask God to forgive my sins. And then I'll go to heaven and uh, it'll be awesome, right? Boom. Awesome plan. That'll work great. Now, listen, there are certainly people who turn to the Lord on their deathbed. But I want to tell you two reasons why that is not a good plan for your life. Number one, first of all, there is no guarantee that you will have a deathbed. The end of your life could happen suddenly and unexpectedly. It happens that way for many people. And you need to be ready because tomorrow is not guaranteed, not for you and not for me, not for anybody. So you need to be ready today. You need to get right with the Lord today. Receive his mercy and grace by putting your faith in Jesus. The second reason, though, is this. Not only is tomorrow not guaranteed for any of us, but the second reason why that's not a good idea is because it is possible to have 
a saved soul and a wasted life. Did you know that? You can have a saved soul. You can go to heaven, and yet your life here on earth can be totally wasted. Jesus told a parable about this. It's, it's called the parable of the dishonest steward. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. It's sometimes considered one of Jesus' more confusing parables, um, but hopefully I can bring some clarity to it for you today. Here's how the parable goes. Jesus says, Once there was a rich man who had a manager. Now understand what, what this manager is. This manager would be kind of like a personal financial assistant or personal financial manager who, who you would hire if you had money or holdings or, or investments, things like that. You would hire this person to manage those investments for you. They would manage your portfolio and make sure that, you know, if you have clients, that all your clients are paying you. But this man he was not doing a very good job as a manager. Jesus says that the rich man found out that this guy, his manager, was wasting a lot of money. So he calls up his manager and he says, listen, I heard that you're wasting all my money. You're fired. I want you out of the building by the end of the day. Pack up your desk. You're out of there. Be gone by the end of the day. So this financial manager, he realizes he's got only until the end of the day in his current position. He's just been fired. He's got to wrap up his business and get out of there right? So the question is, what's he going to do in this little window of time while he's still in this position? And so what does he do? Well, immediately he picks up the phone, right? Of course, they didn't have phones, but you know what I'm saying, right? He picks up the phone and he calls some of his master's clients who owe money. And he says, Bob, hey, hey, it's me. Hey, listen, uh, I got a deal for you, but it's only good today. So uh, uh, how much do you owe? You owe 100? All right, can you pay 50? Can you do it today? Yes, we got a deal. All right, call it done. Your debt is paid. Next guy. Hey, Jim, how much do you owe? You owe 100? All right, pay me 80 and we'll call it good. Now, why, why is he doing this? Well, why? Because people love getting big fat discounts. And you know what else people love? They love people who give them big fat discounts, right? And so later on, he's counting that, look, I've only in this job until the sun sets today, and then I'm out. I'm fired. I'm not, li not going to be in this job anymore. So I'm hoping that by giving these people these discounts in a couple of weeks, when I need a new job, when I need a place to live, I'm going to be able to call up these people and be like, hey, remember how I gave you that discount a few weeks ago? Well, now I need some help and maybe you can help me out. Right? So he's trying to prepare for the inevitable future which is facing him by using the things that he has in his, as his resources in this short window of time right here and right now. And Jesus looks at that and he says, that guy was smart, and we can learn a lot from what that guy did on his last day at work when it comes to how we live our lives. Now, what do we learn from this parable? I'll quickly give you three things we learn from this parable. First thing we learn is that you are a steward. You are a steward. A steward is someone who has been entrusted with something that is not their own, but it is of great value. And Jesus says that is what you are. You are a steward. That's a picture of your life. Everything you have, it has been given to you by God, has been given to you for a short time, and one day you're going to give account to God of what you did with what he gave you. Now listen, guys, God has given you a lot of things. 
He's given you time. He's given you certain talents. He's given you abilities. He's given you money, material possessions. He's given you a mind, a body. He's given you a degree of influence in some circle. And you are to think of those things as things that you steward. You are a steward of those things. You have been entrusted by God with those things for a short time and for a purpose. For a purpose. Okay, so that's the first thing. You're a steward. The next thing is think about your next station. Think about your next station. Jesus is essentially saying, you know what your life is like? You're like a guy who just got fired from his job, and this is your last day at work. And when the sun goes down, you're no longer going to be employed there. So the question is, what are you going to do with the short window of time that you've got left? In this parable, Jesus is saying, let me tell you a story about a guy who understood that he didn't have much time left in his current position and how that understanding changed the way that he lived and acted in that short time that he had left. So think about your next station. That's what this guy did. And what's your next station? Guys, it's eternity. We're racing towards it. Be prepared. Think about your next station. Are you ready? today to meet your maker? H have you put down your yes? Have you received by faith the grace and the mercy of God that's been provided for you by Jesus Christ on the cross? The guy in this story, Jesus is saying, he is a picture of you. And he was smart because he used the time he had left in his current position to prepare for his next station. And that brings us to the third thing, which is, therefore, invest accordingly. How do you prepare for your next station? Well, not only by making sure that you're right with God, by embracing the gospel by faith and what Jesus did for you, but it means using your present resources for eternal good, using your present resources for eternal good. Now, think about this. How many of you guys, if one year ago, like in 2019, if you would have known that in 2020, we were going to go through all this stuff with the virus and everything that's been going on. How many of you would have made some different business decisions based on that, right? Like if it was me, I would have taken a loan for as much as I could possibly get. And I would have invested it all in a toilet paper and mask company. Like I would have uh, invested in bleach, right? Like all my money and my stock market broker, he'd be like, I'm not sure if it's a good idea to put all your money on toilet paper and bleach. And you're like, no, trust me on this one. This is going to be great. Well, you would be rich. If you knew then what you know now, you would act different. You would have acted differently and it would have paid off. And what that means is this. Look, when it comes to your life, you do know what is coming. So invest accordingly. First Timothy chapter six, verse seven says this, you brought nothing into this world and you can take nothing out of it. So what should you do? Well, here's what Jesus said. Therefore, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen, if, since you can't take anything with you, then send it ahead. Invest it now in ways that will pay dividends for all of eternity. In Luke 16, verse 9, at the end of that, that parable of the dishonest steward, Jesus concludes it by saying this, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Jesus says, look, all the things of this world, money, 
health, you know, relationships, whatever it is here in this world, they are all going to eventually end. They will eventually fail. But you can use those things. You can take those things. You can use them right now in such a way as to make an impact for all of eternity so that when you die, not only will you go to heaven, but when you get to heaven, there will be people there who are going to come up to you and they're going to shake your hand. They're going to hug you and they're going to say, you've never met me, but you know that mission trip that you helped support back in the day? Well, that's part of the reason I'm here. They're going to say, hey, you know that radio ministry that you contributed to, that you helped fund, that preached the gospel? That's part of the reason I'm here. You remember that conversation we had about Jesus in the break room at work, and you thought that none of it was getting through? Well, understand, God actually used that in a powerful way in my life that you never realized, and it's part of the reason I'm here today. Remember that children's ministry class that you taught, and you told me when I was little that Jesus loved me and what he did for me so I could be saved? That's part of the reason I'm here. Understand, friends, the decisions you make today can make an impact for eternity. And Jesus is calling us to love people and to use things, the things he's given us here on earth with the short time that you have left to create a legacy for your life and to make an impact for all of eternity. Listen, as we look at the lives of Ahab and Elijah, we see two very different legacies. One is a legacy of leading people away from God and to destruction. The other is a legacy of leading people to God where they can receive mercy and grace. And it makes us, it forces us to ask this question. What will the legacy of your life be? What will the legacy of your life be? The end of your life is inevitable. But the decisions you make today can make an impact for all of eternity. So begin with your destination in mind. Begin with your destination in mind. The ultimate example of this is found in Jesus. Jesus came to us in order to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. We've all sinned. We've fallen short of God's glory. Not only have we fallen short of God's standards, you know what? None of us have even lived up to even our own standards of what we think is right and wrong and what other people should do, much less God's perfect standard. It should be very clear to us. We have fallen short in so many ways. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came. The Almighty God, he left his heavenly throne. He gave up a crown of glory and traded it for a crown of thorns. Why? He came and he walked among us. He became one of us. And he lived that perfect life that we should have lived but could not live. He lived it for us on our behalf. He died a sacrificial death in your place, on your behalf, to take the penalty for your sins so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be made right before God. And he defeated death so that when your earthly life is over, you could have life for eternity. And the question for you and me is this. In light of what Jesus has done, how should we respond? How should we respond? There are many right answers to that, guys. We should respond with joy. We should respond in hope. We should respond as we're about to by, by worshiping him. As you go through this week, you respond by trusting in him and looking to him. But listen, this hope that we have in Jesus, it sets us free. It sets us free to invest our earthly lives and resources in a way that makes an impact for all of eternity. Jesus did that for us, and we get to respond by doing that on a smaller level for the lives of other people. 
Lord, we thank you for your goodness and grace. Lord, thank you that you gave your life for us. Lord, you did for us what we could not do, both in your life, in your death, Lord, in your, in your resurrection. And Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in you, Jesus. Lord, we think about Ahaziah, and we see this man, and he just keeps hardening his heart against you, Lord. I pray for anyone in here today who's struggling in that way. Perhaps they're, they're struggling with just the sense of not wanting to surrender their life to you. Lord, as we look at Ahaziah and we think, wow, why is he doing that? It doesn't make any sense. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would do that work of, of removing hard hearts and, Lord, replacing them with hearts of flesh. Lord, do that work of regeneration in people's hearts and lives who need it right now, we ask. And, Lord, as we, we think about what you did for us, Jesus, how you lived your life in a way that changed our eternal destiny, Lord, may we respond in that same way. May we leave a legacy of following you and, and leading other people to you. Lord, by your Spirit, enable us to do that, we ask. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.